Welcome back to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Johnson. The future of education is a hotly debated topic, one that was only exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. Parents, educators, and policymakers are all asking themselves what students need to learn in order to compete and thrive in a rapidly changing future. One company trying to help solve this is Synthesis School, an online school spun out of SpaceX that focuses on helping children learn how to think and solve problems in novel ways. My guests today are Chrisman Frank, one of the co-founders, and Ana Lorena Fabrega, the chief evangelist. And in this discussion, we talk about the origins of synthesis, why games are such a fantastic modality for learning, and the importance of competition, and much, much more. I hope you get value out of this. And with that, let's go to Chrisman and Ana. Okay, Anna and Chrisman, thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited for this one. I mentioned, you know, briefly before, but both of my kiddos are actually happy, happy synthesis students. And it's the one thing that we kind of kept coming out of our homeschool experience last year. So to be able to kind of sit down with you all and kind of learn a little bit about the inner workings of it and the genesis of it is, is pretty exciting for me. So I appreciate you both being thank here. Thank you for having us, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you. we, I just to start. For folks that are not familiar, why don't we start with what Synthesis School is? And I believe it, you know, it was kind of a spin out of, of SpaceX maybe, but w- walk us through kind of the genesis of it and how you, how you got started. Oh, well, I, you know, since your kids are in it, why don't we put it on you? What do you, what do you think? What is your experience like so far? What do you think Synthesis is? How would you describe it? Okay. Well, I guess what, what attracted me to it in the beginning was I was looking for ways to supplement, you know, like I said, we, we did, we, we made the, the kind of crazy decision to do homeschool, homeschool and pulled our kids out of the district and bought curriculum. And we were math teachers and science teachers and all that kind of stuff. And so they were not, they weren't sitting on zoom calls all day long, but we wanted to look for some ways to kind of provide enrichment. And I saw, I think on Twitter, it might've been you, Chrisman, actually, I don't know where it came from originally, but the video and my understanding was that it was, it came out of something that SpaceX families were able to take advantage of, but basically teaching kids, you know, life skills through kind of a collaborative slash competitive type of uh, game type of environment. And we put the kids through it and they, they fell in love. So it's the one thing that they were looking forward to each, each week. They did not enjoy dad as a science teacher nearly as much. So I don't know if that's <laughs> an accurate representation of it, but that's been our experience. I, I get the same, same thing with, with our kids. Definitely. They really look forward yeah. to synthesis and uh, I don't do much, much direct teaching of them, but certain, certainly they prefer uh, what little I do, they prefer synthesis to that. Yeah, that, that's yeah. pretty good. Good description. I mean, I think the to go with the, the background of uh, synthesis is, uh, you know, our co-founder Josh was a uh, was a teacher at uh, you know, like, kind of like fancy private school in L.A. Uh, previously, that he'd been a teacher in you know, Teach for America schools in Las Vegas, like low income schools. And he went to this uh, fancy private school because he was like, I want to see. You know, he's like, the system seems so broken. And, and just wrong and in, in, in its goals and its methods. I want to see what like really great looks like. And so he went to this private school and just kind of found it was, uh, you know, basically more of the same, but, but faster. And, you know, Elon was uh, one of the parents of the school. And so he met Elon through that. He had Elon's kids in his class and, and you know, Elon kind of shared his frustrations. Elon's big idea was that school should be, you know, focused on solving problems. Like as a species, you know, humanity, we make progress by, solving problems together. And so he thought that should be the approach that school should take, whereas school is more focused on tools. Uh, so the way Elon describes it is like school would teach you a course on wrenches and a course on screwdrivers. And 
they teach the tool and what you should do is teach the problem. So give kids an engine to take apart and then they'll have to learn how to use a screwdriver and how to use a wrench. And so that was really the genesis of the school that became Ad Astra. And then synthesis specifically was just trying to fulfill Elon's, you know, first principles approach of teach the kids how to solve problems. Josh went through a bunch of iterations and eventually realized if you give kids problems in the forms of these competitive and collaborative games and simulations, one, that that's really engaging. And then two, it's, uh, it's a very rigorous kind of thinking because if you, 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 I don't know how much you've observed your kids in it, but if they lose the games, it's because their thinking was, was inferior or their thinking or their communication. Right. And there's yeah. no, it's yeah. not like the teacher just decided to give you a B, you know, it's not arbitrary like that. It's like the other kids had superior thinking and communication to you. And so what are you going to do about that? And that really, the, the analogy that popped in my head when I first saw synthesis was like Ender's game. It's like Ender's game for innovators, right? Ender's game, sci-fi novel where yeah. kids yeah, compete yeah. in battle school to become the best, you know, solve this existential threat of uh, fighting off an alien invasion. And they use this competitive and, and collaborative dynamic to make all the kids, you know, better. And, and that's, that's kind of what I thought when I first saw synthesis at, at, at Astro. It was like this dynamic of making it like a game. It just made it so it was fun. Kids kind of lose themselves in the process of it. And, and it was just, it was very, very rigorous, right? And it's cause like I said, you, if your thinking is, is not strong, you will just lose the game. And that is, that is, a reality that the kids can't argue with. And so we find the way they respond to that is they just, they want to get better, right? Same way kids are with yeah. any kind of video game. And it just so happens in this game, you know, you're, it's, they're very complex and abstract. So your, your thinking and communication need to be really on point. And, you know, we just, I, I thought when I saw that, I was, this is, I have to get this for my kids. It's just anyone who learns this way is just going to be a cut above, you know, people who, who, who don't learn this way. And so that was the genesis. I, I like really wanted, my kids to get it and just work for a couple of years trying to convince Josh to, uh, that we could do this online and, you know, we could, we could open it up and make it accessible to more people, not just a handful of SpaceX engineers. Yeah, that's awesome. And Anna, I know you weren't involved at the very beginning, but you got fairly involved relatively soon after. Why don't, for folks that aren't familiar with your background, how you kind of got involved in synthesis and your, maybe your role there? Yeah. So I am a former elementary school teacher. I started education and I worked at different schools at the elementary school level in New York, Panama, and Boston. And it was pretty traditional schools, right? Even though some of them were considered progressive, the reality is that it's, it's very similar in terms of covering the curriculum and, and teaching for the test. And you know, it really became clear to me that I wanted to do something outside of the school system when I started to see what was happening in the real world and then sort of how we're preparing kids in school for this real world. And there's just this very big gap there. Kids really need an outlet where they can dive into high stakes scenarios, right, and work together to solve interesting and real problems and you know, test hypothesis and course correct and sort of continue learning and iterating the thinking, right? Like that's how people become great yeah. decision makers and thinkers and leaders in today's world. And that's sort of what synthesis was offering and what we're not offering in schools, right? So synthesis was when I met Chris Men and Josh at the very beginning, they hadn't launched yet. So the company was still in stealth mode. And I had been writing for a while about all my ideas in education, what I thought the future of education should be like after leaving the school system in 2019. And so they asked me if I wanted to sort of, when they showed me the program and they invited me to one of their beta testing sessions, I was blown away with the kind of challenges that the kids were taking on from eight 
all the way to 14. And sometimes you couldn't even tell who were yeah. the younger ones. And then just the level of engagement that the kids had and how they were suddenly not afraid to fail. They were just, it was part of it, right? They were so used to it. So they would just jump in and take risks and, and they were just having this ownership and, and like, oh, oh like the, over their learning that I hadn't seen in any school setting. And it was very refreshing. It yeah. was very exciting to see kids excited to learn again. So I decided to help them launch in November last year, sort of like write about it to the people that had the community that I had been sort of building in the space. And then, yeah, since then I joined them as chief evangelist. So again, I write a lot about the problems in the education system, the things that we're not doing, and then how we're trying to cover some of those things and hopefully get more families around the world to learn about what we're doing and try it out. Because we do believe that synthesis is sort of this new educational subject, right? And our success is to the extent that we can get collaborative problem solving to become part of every kid's education. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Very cool. You know, I'd love to just, you know, just, there's so many having, having, you know, they're, they're usually doing it while I'm making dinner. And so I, I, I hear a lot. I was fascinated from the very beginning, the very first time. And it happens, you know, repeatedly. One of the things I've noticed is whenever there is a new game to play, they just get kind of dropped in and, you know, it's obviously it's facilitated, but like there, there are no, there's no rules that are explained. And it's, and it's sort of this stumbling process each time I'm trying to figure out what is this game even about? How does it work? What are the rules? What, what leads to success? And there's always a little bit of anxiety that, you know, the first time and, but it's, it's a very fascinating kind of design decision. And I assume it's intentional and it's very countercultural. You know, it, it, I think in our, at least in the United States, it's very common to try to eliminate a lot of like provide guide rails for everybody and make it really easy. Failure is kind of a, a bad thing, you know, and we try to help kids out eliminate that as much as we can. Can you walk through like that design decision and like the, what you've seen in terms of what that forms in the students and how that has manifested itself? Yeah, that was a really interesting one. Like that was as soon as, so initially the games were kind of like pen and paper or the, like the moves would be recorded in spreadsheets just cause there, you know, there was no software development when they had, you know, just like 30 kids at SpaceX. It was just Josh kind of making these things up and trying them out. And we kind of realized once we put it into software that you didn't need to tell kids the rules or how it worked anymore. Cause you could just play it a couple times and like figure it out yourself. And so that was something, uh, we just experimented with from the first session. And when we just, uh, welcomed that first group of kids in and we were like, Hey, you know, welcome to synthesis. We're going to teach you how to solve problems. We're going to put you in breakout rooms and you're going to have a problem to solve. Go. And like every hand goes up and they're like, well, what's, what's the problem? And we're like, no, 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 we're going to put you in the room and yeah. you're going to figure out how to solve the problem. And they're like, but how, how do you, how do you do it? Like, what is it? And we're like, here you go. Yeah. What is the See problem? Later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they were just yeah. so they come in like from traditional school environments or, you know, it, it's, 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 uh, it's actually, it's kind of a new thing you can do with software where you can just kind of, you can just do the iterations, right? Like it's not, it's a little easier to do than like a, having a physical project where the kids will need some kind of instruction. The software can just, you know, start out one way and you can just experiment with it until you kind of unravel the complexities yourself. And which is more like how, how life works, you know, by and large, there's no, yeah. no rule book for life. So we, we kind of tell kids that like, that's life. You got to figure out how to create this knowledge yourself. That's, we can tell you how to play, but that's not important. It's not important to know how to play the game. It's important to figure out how, how to play games in general. 
and, uh, and how, how to figure out what's going on when there's no one there to tell you. And so the kids were initially pretty, they'd get pretty, pretty upset. Well, this is where we coined our motto, embrace the chaos, because, you yeah. know, the kids would come in and just, they'd, there'd be tears. They'd just be overwhelmed. Kids would like storm out or slam the laptop down and just be really upset. But all, everyone came back the next day with like a new attitude yeah. <laughs> and they were excited. They were like yeah. invigorated by there this. There was a book. I don't know if it's 10, 10 years ago. So there was a book called Nurture Shock. And one of the, one of the big takeaways that I took from that was that there's this, there's this issue where, especially very bright kids who have a track yeah. record of picking things up quickly and are successful when they, especially if you praise them for doing it, it kind of creates a disincentive for them to stumble and fall. And I would imagine that a lot of the students that are kind of in this program are not, I, I would imagine that they, they, they're pretty intelligent kids. And so yeah, it, I would imagine for a lot of them, it's the first time being put in a situation like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the. I think it's like especially helpful for the gifted kids because they they'll come in and just they'll be so sure their plan is going to work. So they'll like form the strategy with their team, just be like, "Oh, we're going to crush everybody," and then they'll get crushed, and then it's that's like brutal, right? It's very difficult, like ego blow to the ego right. for the young kids. But that's going to happen to everybody at some point. And it's better to happen when you're seven. And so you can just switch your mindset into a sort of error correction and learning mindset. Or, you know, the, the book Nurture Shock that you're talking about is referencing Carol Dweck's work, I think, which is sort of the growth mindset mm. idea. Yeah. Um, but whatever you call it, it's just important to focus on your, your ability to learn and to correct errors in your thinking rather than mm -hmm. to, you know, have your ego tied up and just being like the smartest one. And for the most gifted kids, they're not going to be they're not going to run into anyone who's like smarter than them in, in the sense that we talk about in school for, you know, maybe quite a long time. And I think it's just, it's more helpful to have that experience early. So you can just let go of that, you know, part of your ego that attaches to that and just shift to like a more learning mindset. And I think, you know, so far synthesis seems to help kids with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I would like to add to that. The, to me, the most interesting thing, like Chris was saying, we, one of our motives is we embrace complexity and chaos and, you know, the biggest reason is because our world is very complex, very chaotic, and very unpredictable. So we believe that kids will prepare best under similar situations, right? So very different from my experience as a teacher in traditional schools. At Synthesis, we don't water things down. We will not sort of, like, feed them the information or tell them the rules, right? And the simulations will get more and more and more complex over time. And it's this idea that our co-founder, yeah. Josh, will always talk about. And that really struck me when I first heard it. That is, you know, not only do kids crave complexity, but they can actually handle it, right? And a lot of what happens in school mm -hmm. is that we water things down. Like I wrote an article like about a year ago that talked about how 99% of the things that we do in school lack complexity and they're very predictable, right? So what happens is that as soon as things become predictable and straightforward, then they become boring. And our world yeah. is just very complex and very unpredictable. And that's very different from what happens in school, right? So what we try to do is like we try to expose kids to these environments where things, again, are constantly switching. It's it's stressful. They become vulnerable at some point because, again, like Chris was saying, even you can be really, really smart, but if you don't, if you're not comfortable with you know, failing, then you are going to struggle because you are going to fail constantly. And if you're not comfortable mm -hmm. figuring things out and not having all the information, then you are going to struggle. And that's part of it. We let kids struggle and we let them sort of figure it out so that they can come out of it and realize what they are capable of doing when there are no adults sort of like telling you what to do, which is what happens in school. But what I noticed that was super interesting was that 
when you would talk to the kids that had been on it for a while, they would say that actually that element of surprise and of not knowing and that we were constantly switching things up, that sort of became like the source of excitement for them, right? And that was part of what would keep them engaged. The fact that, no, it's not simple. No, we're not going to tell you what to do because we really believe that you can figure it out. And that's just so refreshing again and so so different from what we see in conventional schools. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned kind of the complexity. I, it, I just again through the notes that get shared afterwards, and then just listening to the discussions when they when they come back together to the larger group, you're you all are addressing some pretty intense topics. I mean, like you're talking about game theory, and I know my daughter my daughter's favorite is art for all, and that's you know like you're learning betting strategies and all these kinds of things. Yeah. What have you learned, I guess, about the students' abilities to absorb that kind of information? Because I think to an outsider, it probably is like there's no way that my third grader is going to understand it. But it seems like, yeah, it seems like they pick it up. Yeah, I mean, I I think Piaget kind of like outlined these stages in development, and like seven seven years old is kind of like the conceptual seven to eight. Like kids kids hit that ability to think in terms of of concepts. And so I found my seven year old like, yeah, we we. I'm, he's like my guinea pig. Like I always just like push the, push the boundaries of like what I think kids can understand. And you know, he, he lacks knowledge and he lacks a lot of the concepts to make sense of the world. But you know, the raw material is there. So if you can give him some way to make these concepts, you know, ground them in something concrete, like a game that you're playing, then yeah, you can start reasoning about game theory or auction theory or, or any of these other, you know, kind of high level concepts. And that's, one of the things that was unique about synthesis, the way we started was with kind of like the, the highest achieving kids. And, 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 you know, the goal is just like push the frontier and see, see how far you can push kids and what's the limits of the complexity that they can handle. And so that's very much like just in our, in our blood and like ethos as a company is we just want to keep pushing things forward. And, uh, I don't think we're anywhere near the limit. I think people are just going to be shocked with what these, kids can do, especially the ones who are in it for a few years. I think, you know, if kids in it from like seven, age seven to age 13, I think it's just going to be frankly shocking to adults who came up in a different information environment. And, you know, we're, we're mostly kind of sitting around bored Mm -hmm. in school. (laughs) A lot of this high level concepts, it's also the way that we expose, it's not like we, you know, we start the lesson by saying, okay, today we're going to teach you about auction theory or the winner's Right. right. No, we, we design the simulations and we know the mental models that come into play for each simulation, but the kids get to again struggle when they're stuck. Then we'll be like, oh, there's this really cool mental trick, or sometimes we'll call them mental models, but we'll expose them to the actual concept once the kids need it. And what we've noticed is that mm-hmm. when the kids need something, it doesn't really matter how challenging it is. When they are, when they know they need that information or that mental model or whatever in order to achieve their goal, they are open to it and they want to learn about it, right? So it's sort of like we're switching the order of how we introduce these concepts. And then the other thing that came to mind as Chrisman was saying that was that something really interesting that we, we implicitly teach at Synthesis that again, I don't really see anywhere else. It's like the notion that you can, you can learn about anything, even if you don't know anything about the topic, right? It's sort of like that idea that, oh, you know, I just encountered something that I know nothing about and, you know, I've never seen this, 
but I, I, I can learn about this. Let me figure it out. Let me, and, you know, and that notion is such a valuable skill for anything you end up doing in the real world, but it's not really cultivated in school. So, sort of the yeah. opposite, right? It's sort of like risk averse. Like, I, I don't want to try this out because I don't know enough about it. I don't want to look like a fool. Here, the kids are like, I know I'm going to fail multiple times in the next hour. So I'm just going to go for it. And I know that everyone around me is sort of going through the same thing. So I'm not exposed. So it's a very, it's, it's a very different way to, to expose kids to these high, you know, high level concepts that seems to stick. And the idea is that you know, it's not that yeah. the kids play once or twice and then they're going to know these mental models. But the idea is that by playing and practicing over and over and over again, you know, for years, then all these ideas that we're exposing them to that, you know, you don't really learn until you're an adult, right? On your own by reading, right. they become part of your mental toolbox, right? And then you start to see how, you know, where they fall in this framework of theory and how, you, you know, you actually have these ideas in usable form. So it's an yeah. experiment, but that's sort of like what we're betting on. Right, that by practice. Well, it makes sense. It's like uh, Munger's idea of like the lat. You see, like that lattice work of mental model thing. You know that that that's right. And might we'll talk about yeah, like like one of the questions that I think often comes up when someone reads, you know, like I'll recommend the Farnham Street book or something like that. And one of the things that often comes up is like, how do I bake this into my my DNA where it's just second nature? And it seems like this is a fantastic way to do it is through repetition and this sort of game, this game construct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you have to use them, right? Like we have, we have a whole, you know, a biochemical reward system. If you use something effectively, then you're going to be, you know, more inclined to apply that. If you're able to apply math concepts and, and, you know, make more money, for example, it's going to make you more inclined to, uh, to, to work with mathematics. I think that's true of all these, these mental models. I think there's, uh, you know, you can read about them as much as you want, but you really have to be in an environment where it's sort of, it's beneficial to apply these things. And so that's one of the goals of synthesis, just create an environment where you can, you can apply these, these mental tools. I, I think that's the problem with like critical thinking, teaching critical thinking in schools as well is like, you have to have something to apply your critical thinking to, and it has to be enjoyable. Yeah. So the big part of synthesis is kind of just creating an environment like a playground where, you know, you, the critical thinking is rewarded. Yeah. And if we do that, then I, I think that just it's, it will become second nature to these kids. More, more, more kids will be able to enjoy it and, and be able to apply this to topics outside of synthesis. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense in terms of using, using games to make it fun and to kind of facilitate those types of interactions. You know, using games seems like it's still to this day, maybe it doesn't have the stigma that it used to have about being just negative and it's rotting your brain, but it still does not seem like it's fully appreciated as kind of a modality for learning. What are some of the other, I guess, benefits of learning through games that you've either seen directly through synthesis or that the research supports that, that make it a superior way to learn? Yeah. So, well, two things come to mind when it comes to games. So what you mentioned is true. Like people have this sort of like not a negative connotation, but what happens is that games are usually associated with play. And we often think that play is just a distraction from like serious or real work, right? At least that's how it's treated in, in, you know, professional settings and in, in the traditional school settings, right? But if you look at the research and if you actually just sit down and look at kids, like places, plays like the natural way that kids learn, right? And so instead of just trying to find like a different way to engage them, because a lot of what's happening in education is we're going through an engagement crisis, you, you could use that to, you know, you leverage, right? You leverage that. And that's something that Elon 
would say, like, I don't have to force my kids to play video games. They're just naturally drawn to them. And, and for, right. for so many different elements that games have. So you definitely like using a game-based approach. We've seen many, many benefits and, and it's a way for learning to stick. However, and I've written about this before, there is like a distinction. So you've probably heard there's like this buzzword in education called gamification that a lot of, you know, mm. teachers and, and a lot of parents, a lot of people say that, and even at like work settings like Amazon, they'll say that, oh, this is the way that we hook the people and we engage the students and that's how they're learning. But the reality is that when you're, you know, a lot of it is not really gamification, it's pointification. And I wrote about this, which is when you're sort of doing things for like the leaderboard at the front of the class or the stickers that the parents will give you if you clean your room. So we sort of like trade good behavior and, you know, achieving something and learning for all this like extrinsic motivators. Right. And the problem with yeah. this is that it, it may work in the short term, you know, kids may say, okay, I will learn this just so that I get this, but it doesn't really, it's not sustainable. Right. And it sort of like grabs on the thing, like it sort of misses the solutions of what really a game of like a gameful experience is. And so the way that we've done it, I, I love the work of Jane McGonigal. She's a PhD game designer that talks about like this whole difference between gamification done wrong and then what's a true game and what are the elements of a true game and how do you really prepare or sort of like create a learning experience that will have the right elements of the game so that the learning actually sticks and it's really engaging for the right reasons. She talks about having a real goal and then having rules which are like unnecessary obstacles that the students choose to tackle and that make the game really interesting. And then a big mm -hmm. thing is like having a reliable feedback system with opportunities for failure and for kids to improve. And, you know, for example, at Synthesis, you'll see that we don't have like this arbitrary scoreboards, but rather like the kids understand the skills that they're working on and then how they can improve and how they can be get better. And they're sort of like leveling up. Right. And then a big part of for a game to be a game is this voluntary participation, not for the sticker, not for the pizza party, but really because you want to get better at something. You want to achieve a goal that's meaningful to you. And when I started to hear the conversations that my kids would have in the classroom when I was a teacher, and I would try to gamify something the wrong way, right? Like making a Jeopardy game to get them to study for a test. The conversation that kids would have yeah. would always be around the points and winning and losing and that's it. At Synthesis, however, because we've thought through what are really like the elements that are making this an effective gamified learning experience, the kids, of course, they will talk about who won and who lost. That's natural, right? But it's not really the focus of the conversation. They'll be talking about the challenges that they were able to overcome and sort of like the team dynamics and, you know, the different roles that they played or what does it feel being squashed after you thought you have like the right strategy in place or how good it feels when finally something yeah. that you were struggling with finally like, you know, works. And so, and, and the way that they talk about failure, it's like, okay, like I lost, it doesn't matter in two minutes, a new game will start. So anyway, all this to say that for a game to actually work, you know, it has to feel like a real and authentic challenge for the kids. And Josh spends a lot of time thinking about this. Josh is our other co-founder who's in charge of designing all the simulations about, well, what are, what are sort of like the, the real challenges that kids want to be solving and how can we give them a lot of ownership over this and what are the, you know, things that we want them to tackle. And the result of doing it the right way is more engagement, more excitement and more fulfilling learning. And so that's what we're seeing. And perhaps maybe that's a long winded answer to your question, but that talks about, you know, what we get wrong about gamified learning. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, along those lines, one of the, one of the, I guess, not game mechanics necessarily, but just aspects that make there, you, you have this interesting balance of kind of collaboration and competition where they're working, they're usually working together in a team. 
And yet they are, you know, to your point, they're competing with each other and there's a winner or loser, at least in an individual game kind of basis. We live, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I'm in a Twitter algorithmic bubble and then I live in a town, you know, I live in Evanston, Illinois, which is its own bubble. And I think that my bubble, I think would appreciate co the collaboration side, but might bristle a little bit at the, the competition side. It's not, that's not necessarily as in vogue as it maybe was you know, 10, 20 years ago. What do you think the role is of competition in terms of helping kids learn and facilitating that learning process? Yeah. I mean, I think this idea that competition is bad is just like not, not examined at all. Like one kids love competition, right? If you yeah. take, yeah. look at how we, um, what, what we're trying to do is use competition to produce superior thinkers and problem solvers, right? I think if you look at another domain, if you look at like soccer, right, there's billions of dollars that go into finding the world's best soccer players, creating the world's best soccer players, billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, competition is a huge part of that, right? Competition, not only to work out, you know, who's, who's got the most potential, but also to level everybody up. Like if you take two groups of just random kids and you try to make them the best soccer players they can be by the time they're 20 years old, like in one group, is playing small sided games and com competing with one another. And the other group is not like, you, you know, which group is going to build the superior skills overall. Like it's just nothing could be more obvious. And what is also mm -hmm. obvious if you observe children at all is that they love competition, right? They don't, they do not have the hangups that adults have. Like they like to use the competition to let them know where they're at and, and, and how they can improve. My kids yeah. do jujitsu, which is like a very brutal form of competition. We just took them to a tournament, their first tournament, uh, like the statewide tournament in California. And they both, uh, they, you know, they both got smashed in some of their matches. And it's just hard to watch that as a parent, like, you know, your kid's getting smashed in, in a, in a combat sport, like that's difficult, but they don't have any, you know, that doesn't like break them down. They're just, they, they were buddies with the people who beat them like right afterward. And they were asking for tips and they're trying to, you know, when they go back to their local, you know, Jim, they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to be much better uh, for having been exposed to that. So I think it's like an adult hang up. I, I don't, I think it, if you examine it at all, like it's, it's a silly idea that we can do away with competition, competitions yeah. everywhere in the world. And, uh, I, I think the only kind of thing I would, I would, you know, modify on, on the competition is good is that we live in a world where we're lucky enough to be able to play positive sum games, right? So in the past of all of like biological, not just human history, this is by and large a, a zero sum game. So to get more, you need to take from somebody else. And that's not true anymore. We can, uh, we're all competing yeah. to play the most, uh, beneficial positive sum games. And so we're lucky to live in a world where people like Elon and Jeff Bezos are not trying to, uh, take over territory and, and enslave us all, but in, instead are, you know, building, building products that benefit all of humanity. Yeah. That's, that, that's interesting. You know, one of the other things you mentioned earlier about was giving kids, giving kids ownership. And I've started to see inklings of, you know, it started with, you know, the discord server where they're all chatting now. And I, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit about the community aspect, like how you build a community specifically for children, but then two, I've started to see some teasers about creating like a governance board where the kids are getting, it almost sounds like a, like a, like a DAO in a way, or like the kids are going to have a say in kind of where things go. And even, I think, yeah. I don't know, Chrisman, I think you might've tweeted something about like even potentially hiring some of these kids at some point and kind of creating opportunities that way. How do you, how do you think about giving kids ownership of synthesis, you know, kind of beyond 
just kind of taking ownership of their team and their learning in a game context, but kind of in a broader sense? Yeah, that's a great question. Something we're still figuring out, but it's been Josh is sort of like the leading edge on that. So he's got some of his, some of his groups that he meets with are, they're involved in like designing the experiences. So kind of, kind of like the idea that you, when you master the games that now you can, you can look back and then design them for the next, next group of kids. And so that's a very you know, yeah. kind of select, select group right now, but that's sort of like one of the, one of the rewards of succeeding in synthesis is, is now you get to be put in the place of, of designer and, uh, and potentially instructor for like the next, next level of kids. And so I think that's really, that's important in a couple ways. It just, it gives the kids ownership, gives them, you know, there's some status associated with moving up. And also there's some way to, to sort of, to sort of, to sort of give back and which is helpful to scale synthesis in a way that's, uh, that's more cost effective, right? Like if the, if the 13 year olds, as part of their education are responsible for helping the 10 year olds or the eight year olds, then it actually like lowers the cost for everybody. It's much more efficient to do things that way. And, you know, as we all know, when you're a teacher, you know, you, you almost learn more by teaching than you do by, by being taught. So the kids who can move up can become, you know, the teachers, like the mentors for the kids who are, you know, a couple of years behind. I think that's, that's basically how humanity has worked from the dawn of time until, you know, the industrial age about in like 1900, then we started segregating everybody by age. And, and that's a very sociopathic idea, right? We are made to, to exist in a hierarchy where there are people who are a little bit ahead of us who we can look up to and, and emulate. And there are people who are a little bit behind who we can, we can pull up and we can help. Like that, that's the natural state of humanity and our education system by siloing people by age takes that away. And that's, that's a, it's a terrible idea. So we want to try and bring back some of that, just that, that continuous, you know, progression within synthesis and still, still pretty early there, but that's, uh, that's always the goal. Yeah. Yeah. What about on the community side? I mean, you've got these kids, they're all over the, not even just the United States, they're all over the world. And, you know, I think one of the aspects of, of, a, of a typical kind of school environment is the social aspect outside of class and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like y'all are trying to kind of create opportunities for, to facilitate some of that stuff. What have you learned so far? And I get it's, I get it's early days, but what have you learned about, creating and fostering kind of community with an audience with maybe with a younger audience than maybe just in general. Yeah. I mean, just it, it's kids, kids love it. <laughs> it's just like one of the, one of the most important things is, is to give them that, that connection, the like social connection to other people. I think it's one of those powerful things we can create at synthesis is sort of like a culture where you're around kids who, you know, actually they buy into the game and they want to be there and they want to, they want to become rigorous in their, in their thinking and, uh, and, and, and are kind to each other and welcoming to each other as well. And yeah, we see, mm -hmm. see that the kids just love that. And, and particularly to synthesis, there is a, there's a stronger bond, I think that comes like we, we've maybe you, you, you can speak to this cause your kids have been in it, but, uh, you know, people are doing other online, you know, education activities. And we hear a lot like, you know, my kid, they actually make friends in synthesis and they don't mm -hmm. need others or by, you know, by and large don't need others. And I think the, one explanation for that could be like, well, you're, you're, you know, that's how we bond, right? You're solving a problem together. You're like humans actually like bond through work. Like we're, we're you know, mostly yeah. today we're kind of friends with people from work because that's, you know, you bond together over not leisure time, but like doing meaningful work together, work that's meaningful to you. And so I think that that process of having the experience that, you know, embracing the chaos and synthesis, you, you have something that you can, that you can talk about that's like a bonding experience. And so it, I think it produces, you know, potentially stronger friendships than, uh, 
than, mm-hmm. than other means. Yeah. The one thing yeah. that I've noticed that I hadn't really at least thought about before until I saw the kids on how they were building the friendships and synthesis was that, you know, they're getting to collaborate from, you know, kids from all over the globe, right? So oftentimes kids are sort of limited in their in their physical school to kids from their neighborhood or similar demographics, or but suddenly they're put into this environment where again you have kids that are older than you, that are younger than you, um, and age is not really what determines how good you are at solving these things. But they also come with like very different ideas and perspective on how to solve these problems. So it's really interesting to see how kids suddenly become, you know, start to realize a lot of things just by meeting people from different places. But also the simulations and and the sessions are designed to put students sort of like in the spot and push them. And this sounds, you know, weird, but it's actually something good for them. Like we push them to be vulnerable. And what we've noticed is that, and again, in a safe environment, right? So when this happens, kids sort of leave their comfort zones and that's what sort of enables them to make stronger connections with all their new friends, right? Again, it doesn't matter if you're smart, if you're like, like, or if you're very advanced in this, like you're going to struggle. Like we're all going through this at the same time. And that is sort of like we're tapping into the emotional rewards that the kids crave the most. Sounds kind of intuitive, but that's sort of like what we've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. You know, it's interesting. We, one of the things that happens when you try to kind of disrupt a particular area is that you have, I guess, rankle the feathers potentially of kind of legacy institutions and things like that. I guess I'd be curious first, Anna, like from your perspective, as you made the decision to kind of transition over to synthesis from kind of legacy school system, you, I'm sure you had friends that were educators and maybe have some skepticism and, and, and you're, you're breaking a lot of their mental models, right. Mm -hmm. About, you know, the nature of collaboration and games and just throwing people in and you don't have grades kind of in the traditional sense and all these kinds of things. Like how, how do you explain it to people you know, in your, in your role as the evangelist who, who maybe, may, I guess maybe have some skepticism. Like, how do you, how do you get them? Maybe not to say, I, I, I agree with you, but to at least be like, I get, I get where you're coming from. There might be something legit here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is when you, when you, the, the biggest thing that I point out to people who, who haven't really thought about this as much as I have is just look at the amount of time that kids are spending in school, right? It's such a crucial moment of their lives, right? It's their childhood. And then pay attention to how they are reacting. Like again, kids, we are humans in general, like we're hardwired to learn, like we enjoy learning. It's sort of like in our nature. But then when kids sort of enter this system where it was designed a long, long time ago for a very different purpose, you know, we, and it worked back then, yeah. but as you know, the nature of our jobs have changed and the marketplaces have changed, we would think that we would trade in this like obedience and complacency model for more of a questioning one and more of an entrepreneurial one, right? With different skills. When you start, when you look at the curriculums and the things that we're still teaching kids with these very outdated methods of memorizations and grades and da da da, we're preparing them for jobs that no longer exists. So there's these stats that say that two thirds of the kids that are going through grade school right now will end up doing jobs that haven't been invented yet. So it's like, okay, the kids are, you know, again, for 12 years, for around seven hours a day in a classroom, that's a lot of time. And then when you really see what they're learning, a very little sticks, right? There's many reasons for this. Like a lot of it lacks real world application. There's that lack of engagement. So a lot of it just, they, they just don't process. A lot of kids learn how to play the game of school. So many adults that don't really pay attention think, oh, they're learning. They're, they're doing well. Great. Yeah. But really kids are so smart. They've learned how to hack the system and how to appear as if they're learning. And yeah. 
And then, but really, they just want to get all that school learning out of the way to go home and actually get to do the things that they really want to do. So when you start to, what I usually tell parents is just like really look at kids and try to look at what they're, you know, how, you know, how they're reacting, what they're doing, and then look at what's happening in the real world. Like what are the kinds of things that we should be teaching them? And, you know, our co-founder Josh like talks often, like you have kids that want to be poets, others that want to be scientists. Like it doesn't really matter what you want to do. There's a certain set of skills that you will need in order to thrive in whatever it is you choose to do in this very complex world. And we talk about, you know, how to make ethical judgments, regardless of what you want to do. You need to learn how to do that, how to understand trade-offs, how to collaborate to solve interesting problems in whatever field you want to go into, right? How to communicate your thoughts in an eloquent way. So these are all things that we don't really tackle in school. We're not teaching them in school and yes. don't get practice yeah. doing this. So something like synthesis, and I'm not saying that it's going to be the only thing out there that provides this, right? And it's not the only thing that kids need, right? There are other things that kids also need in order to be educated. In. But it's really giving kids practice in the one thing that they're not getting in this conventional places. And that I think that's actually going to be very relevant and very useful regardless of whatever they want to do. That combined with the biggest thing that I see is, again, if kids actually realized, and I joke about this a lot, but it's true, if kids realized that education is for them so that they can do whatever they want to do in, in the world and make a difference and, and be really good at something that they love, then they would probably demand that it's more interesting and more relevant, right? The thing is, there's such a lack yeah. of purpose in schools that kids don't even realize that all these years and everything is for them. And so if we're able to inspire them and give them back that, like, ownership over what they're doing, it would make such a big difference, right? Like their attitudes would be different. They would be more ambitious. They would probably want to take more risks. And the kids are able to accomplish many, many things when they are motivated and when they understand what they're doing. So I just have a lot of faith in in kids in general, because I've seen them when they are excited and when they are into something. And if we gave that more importance and gave them more agency over that, then, you know, we're going to keep on pushing civilization forward, which is something that Chrisman talks a lot about. It starts with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Along those same lines, Chrisman, I know, you know, at least at, I, I, it was one of your more interesting slash contentious, you know, tweets that you put out there. I don't know if it was six months ago or, or when it was, but it sounds like you've, you've kind of pretty legit put your, you know, put some skin in the game here in terms of how you've chosen to, to educate your own kids. And in turn, like the, you, you've, you've kind of gone almost all in with synthesis and you've supplemented it with some very similarly, maybe non-traditional approaches. I don't know to which degree you're comfortable with, with talking about it, but it was just, it was pretty yeah, fascinating sure. to me. Yeah. 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 I think about it a lot. So I, I think my latest thinking on this is there's kind of three, three main, main, main areas of, of education, right? Uh, the first one is, I was put, put really eloquently by, by my friend, Matt Bateman, who's at a company called Higher Ground Education, which is like a Montessori school network. And I think this is an idea derived from Maria Montessori that education should be about helping kids fall in love with life. And I think that's kind of like the first goal. And, you know, the way we accomplish that in our family is the kids go to like a forest school slash beach school. So it's, it's, uh, it's a couple hours, um, you know, three, three times a week. And they just, they get to be with other kids and they go explore the forest and, and the beaches. And, you know, it's just, it's, you, know, they observe what, what they find. It's not rigorous in any way. It's just, uh, you know, it's fun and, and, and it makes you interested in things and, and it's, it's beautiful. You get to experience beauty. And so that's kind of the first thing. The second one is, is knowledge. And I think for knowledge acquisition, reading is, is the best. And so our, our kids, they just spend a whole lot of time reading. We just don't have, uh, 
you know, don't have very much TV or, or iPad time at all. And, and they, they spend a lot of time just reading books. And then the third is, uh, learning to think rigorously to, to have like an, an approach to solving problems. So you can solve the problems in your life. If you can solve the problems in your life, you're going to be, you're, you're going to have a much better life. Right. And for that, I yeah. think that's where, uh, that's where synthesis comes in. I think there's like a couple yeah. pieces of that. There's like actually getting the experience solving problems and just practice doing it with other people. And then there's those con- concepts and like mental models that we talked about, like learning to think in terms of concepts, you can apply those mm-hmm. to problems. And so those are the kind of three. And, and so that's, those are the three things that I do with my kids. Yeah. You know, they, when yeah, you talk to, when, when you, when you talk to folks kind of in your network, kind of about that, and it's one of those, one of the lessons I think I took out of COVID when we made the decision to homeschool and to pull our kids, you know, out of the district, the parent parenting choices and, and the choices that you make for your kids' education in particular just seem very charged, right? Like it's almost like it, yeah. was, it was impossible for me to talk about the decision to homeschool oh, without there's, others there's an implicit- kind of criticism of yes. what they're doing. Right. So it, it's like that, you know, when you have kids, yeah. you know, it's, it's like that about everything as soon as, as soon as they're babies, right. The, these are the debates that rage yeah. and it's, it's not, they're not genuine debates, right. There are people who are defending their own decisions. Yeah. Like I, it, it, it's asymmetric too, right. Like I'm not, I'm not going to get angry with you if you're like, tell me my kids <laughs> should be in school, sure. you know, it's just yeah. a shrug, right. But people are really angry they they get angry with you for homeschooling or pulling your kids out of school. Yeah. And so I think that's, yeah. that's a signal in its own right. I think people are happy with their own choices are not usually so quick to jump how, to angry. How do you advise, them. how do you advise people to navigate that? Like if they, they are listening to this and they're like, you know what? Synthesis sounds amazing. Like in, in my, in our case, it was the one thing that we kind of kept from homeschool. We did, we did end up putting our kids back in, but I told my wife, like, sports, anything like that, it does not take precedent over. So I want to keep synthesis. That was like our priority. And so we do it at night and that's how we, how we do it. But yeah. for families that maybe, you know, resonate with kind of what you're suggesting and maybe want to potentially go more all in with something like that, like how would you advise them to think about it and to navigate some of those conversations? <laughs> I don't know. It's a big, it's a big topic and everybody does it differently. Like Josh and I do it, yeah. you know, diff- differently for our kids. I think the you know, the, the, yeah. I think it just, I, you know, the, the same way you think about everything is like break it down to the fundamentals. And I, I think it's an interesting framework to think about how can I make sure my kids fall in love with life? I, I think, you know, some schools certainly are antagonistic to that. If they're sitting at a desk yeah. and solving things that they don't care about, like that's, that's not good. So how, how can you help them fall in love with life? Mm-hmm. How can you get them reading a lot? Like, is, is it true what I say that like reading is, is the best way to build to build knowledge and that is going to make you, uh, you know, more effective over time, then, then you can think about how to get more reading time. And if it's true that there is something about thinking rigorously, then how can you develop that? Maybe synthesis is the best option or maybe it's not, but you can, you know, you can use your, use your reason and, and, and go through it. You know, there's so much like reasoning by analogy in education. I think if you break it down to like, how do you want to raise your kids? Like what are, what are our values and how do we best live up to those? Then everybody's going to be different, right? I think mm-hmm. everybody will be different on that and there's no prescription. Yeah. Yeah. The whole like for thinking from first principles. Thing. Right. And just questioning, questioning the way things have been done. Right. When you start question, that's what I tell a lot of parents when they hear my ideas they are like, well, how dare you mess with what's been working for so many years? And I'm like, well, 
Has it been yeah. working? You know, start to think about, well, what's the purpose of an education? What are the sort of attitudes that kids should be having, you know, around all this? Like, why are we doing things the way we, we are right now? When you start to actually look at the history, you, you see why are the things created why we, and why we haven't changed it. And a lot of the things just don't make sense. So what I say is, you know, just because that's the way it's been done for so many years doesn't mean that that's the right way or the way that we should be doing it going forward. And I just say, you don't even trust yeah. you. You shouldn't delegate. And I wrote about this as well, like how to have skin in the game when it comes to your kids' education. Like you shouldn't be delegating all your kids' education to these institutions. Like that's just something that is really baffling to me. I'm not saying you have to go to the other side of the spectrum where you're 100% homeschooling because the reality is that that's not possible right. for a lot of families, but you can be somewhere in the middle, right? You can yeah. accept some things, you can sort of compromise in a few others and then do the research with your kid to see what's the best way to be, you know, getting them excited about learning and, and you know, preparing them for all the things that we've been talking about. But a lot of it just comes from thinking about also the things that the schools are reinforcing like to me, a big turn of was like, I don't want to be working at a place where I'm, you know, sort of like teaching kids to all agree on what I'm saying all the time and not questioning or just wait for me to tell them what to do and, and not be like proactive and come up with it or, you know, just accepting things the way they are. Like all these things are just so not like counterintuitive to what happens in the real world. We should be teaching kids how to question things and sort of like how to come up with their own conclusions around this. And and if that's not happening and you're a parent and you're thinking about this, then it's your job to sort of find a compliment or a solution or or find a way where you can actually provide that to your kids. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. You know, it's interesting. I mean, it's only, you've only been a year in, it sounds like you launched in November last year. What's, what's, uh, what do the next couple of years look like for synthesis? What do you see heading from here? Yeah, I think there's a couple of dimensions that we want to expand on. So I think more games and more complex games basically build, you know, games and simulations. So I think we've covered, we have like a game about commercial fisheries, a game about colonizing planets, a game about Hollywood movie production, you know, a hand, handful of others. And I, I think it just making this game about firefighting, forest fires. And so I, I think there's like just, just making more games and simulations that cover like a broader, you know, range of situations in the world is, is one creating a progression right now, since your kids have been in, since you guys are the early adopters, it's, it's just been like a cohort based course, you know, kind of thing. And we're going to be switching very soon to a more network based approach. So kids will be able to play more often. They'll be able to meet a wider variety of kids and kind of find their tribe. And, and importantly, I think they'll be able to move up and, you know, gain status by working hard. So there'll be a progression at synthesis, which is, uh, which I ultimately hope that you know, the top, the top kids when they're like 13 or 14, that we can do something like a, like a teal fellowship that that'll start at like age, age 14. So they can, you know, have like a little, uh, a little bit of cash and to, to pursue like interesting projects. And so we'll make that available for like some of the top kids or potentially, you know, I, like, I, like I tweeted about hiring some of the kids, uh, you know, if you're, if you're 13 or 14 and you've done really well in synthesis, then, you know, I think I could see where we would pay for you to go to like a coding boot camp and then hire you. And we've already, we, you know, already hired one, one person who's, uh, who's still in high school and that's working out really great for us. And I'd Absolutely. like to expand that pretty, pretty aggressively. And then, again, this is like sounds crazy, but like if you look at history, people that age have often made genuine contributions to society. Like Benjamin Franklin is, is one of my favorites started actually publishing yeah. his writing at about age 14 was a printer, like ran a newspaper, wow. right? Which is a pretty, high level occupation in those days. And so I think it's just, it's almost like a return to historical normalcy. So those are a couple of things. And then the, the other really big one is the games right now are 
I think we can do a better job of tying, of, of developing this conceptual knowledge. So you talked about, you know, your kids are learning game theory, but like how, how robust is that? Is that knowledge? Can they apply it outside the games? So they really know what they're talking about. Like, I don't think we, we know yet. We don't have a really good idea, but I think we're going to go a lot mm-hmm. further down that. We're going to really like push the envelope. And that's par- partially driven by my own oldest is uh, getting to that age now where he can understand this stuff. So I'm, you know, skin in the game. I'm really eager to push the envelope yeah. on this and see how far we can go. That's super exciting. Well, you know, I think it's a good place to stop. Uh, for folks that are interested in learning more about synthesis, where should I send them? Yeah, so they can uh, synthesis go. Dot, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm I was the chief say, evangelist. This is your department. I'd love for you to talk about Rubicon, though, because that's an interesting also way to get a gist oh, yeah. of synthesis experiences like. But you can follow us on the different social media platforms at synthesis.is on Instagram and synthesis school on Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter where we share sort of like the updates of what we're doing. And that's in the website, synthesis.is as well. And then you can also visit our YouTube channel where we're constantly um, putting videos of our simulations and different concepts that we're teaching the kids and exploring. And then Chrisman, do you want to talk about Rubicon? Rubicon is, uh, so we had, we have had an application since the beginning of synthesis. So you'd have to record an answer to, uh, what's a, what's called a conundrum, uh, which are these like sort of moral ethical dilemmas that Josh came up with while, uh, you know, while teaching the school at SpaceX. And so we're now experimenting with another, another, uh, kind of admissions tactic they used at SpaceX, which is, which is a game called Rubicon. So it's, uh, it's, it's a single player synthesis game that, uh, you can, you just have to hard. figure out how it works. It's very, it's very, it's very challenging, but you can play that at rubicon.synthesis.is. And so you can give that to your kids. And if they, if they like the Rubicon experience, then they will probably like synthesis. It's just since the only difference is synthesis games are, uh, you know, they tend to be more complex, but they're, they're with a the team. So, so more fun as well. So definitely check out rubicon.synthesis.is. And uh, yeah, if your kids like that, then they will probably enjoy synthesis. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you both for doing this and thanks for for creating synthesis. Like I said, I mean, it's been, you know, kind of one of the highlights of our family life in the last year and a half or however long since, since, since we got involved in it. And it's something that uh, our kids look forward to every single week and they have their, they have art for all tonight. So uh, we, will, awesome. we will be in there. So Really appreciate right. it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks for being uh, early members. And thanks for having us <laughs> Take on. Take care. All right. Cheers. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. My guests today were Chrisman Frank and Anda Lorena Fabre. For more ideas on how to disrupt your own organization, visit us at manifold.group. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love a review on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you use. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.